You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Dave Ammons. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Happy Sunday to you. It's great to be up here with you. You know, as Brian said, the thing uh, about tithing, it just immediately took me back to the days when me and Macy first got married. And man, I tell you what, by the, the uh, end of a month, man, we were lucky if we could rub two dimes together. And if we were good stewards of our money, man, we could hit a fast food joint. I'd, I'd hit up a Taco Bell at the end of a month in a skinny second, you know? Uh, but I'll, I'll never forget those days, uh, and I love that just challenge of remembering because when we were first married, someone blessed us with a set of washer and dryers. And can I tell you how often I prayed over those washers and dryers? Lord Jesus, don't let them break down. And they never did. We blessed them to somebody else, and I guarantee you they're still probably working to this day. I bought other ones, and those are broke, but I guarantee you those other ones, they got the blessing of God on them or something, man. I'm going to tell you right now. It is so good uh, to just be under the covering uh, of God. And I'll tell you what, uh, he wasn't lying about the old parking spots because I feel like that's something Macy just gets. And she likes to remind me that, uh, that God likes her a little bit more, or a lot, if I forget the verb, you know. But we'll be in a, a parking lot, jam-packed. I'm like, man, there ain't a parking spot in here. She's like, take another lap. I'm in the car. God gives me front parking spots. Go and doggone if they're not there. She's not in the car. I don't get it. Man. Anyways, I love you, babe. You're looking beautiful. Well, hey, I'm excited to be up here with you. We're nearing the end of uh, our summertime period, and I love our summertime period because here's what you guys get as a church. What you get is um, many standalone messages, and what's really cool about that is you guys get to hear uh, a series of messages from the speakers um, that come up here that is what the Lord's doing in their life in that moment, that week, that moment, that month. And so you really get a passionate word for what God has been doing. Uh, and, and I hope you guys have enjoyed those words. This morning, the topic that I really feel like God has impressed in my heart, has impassioned me for, is this topic of worship. We're already off to a great start this morning, and I was even challenged as this man do I even need to give a message? Because after worship like that, let's just go ahead and continue on because his presence is going to do a lot more than the words that we can speak. Amen? I love getting in his, in his worship and his presence. I want to start off by asking a kind of a rhetorical question, um, but I'm going to ask it. And, and I want you guys just to begin to think about this. But the question is this, is what does worship mean to you? What does worship mean to you? What does it mean into your life um, how do you incorporate it into your life? I was looking at the Cathedral Instagram this past week, and the question this week was, what is your favorite worship song? And then y'all just flooded the comments, and when you look at that, you get to see, man, worship means different things to different people. Some like older music, some like brand new music, and everything in between. I'll never forget when I first started coming here with my parents, uh, I was sitting on that front row, and... I just had never seen a place like Cathedral. It, it, was, it was different. And people worshiped like crazy. They seemed more joyful than any group of people. And honestly, I, I didn't really have words or a way to describe it at that, uh, in, in those young years of my life. But I walked away honestly thinking that the people in this church were fake. 
And, and so I would come back uh, next week, and I was like, man, these are dedicated fake people because they're doing it again. <laughs> and I came again, and it was over just a few short weeks that I was like, oh, this is, this is actually them. They, they, they embody this spirit of worship, and, 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 I'm, and I'm beginning to see the power of what that worship is in a church and in people's lives. You can see this overflow begin to happen. And so sitting on that second row, I decided, you know what, I might as well join the fake crowd. You know, let's get up. I'll be one of, them, one of them right there with them. And I'll never forget putting my hands out there on the front of that chair like some of you guys have done, and it was like someone put 80-pound cement blocks on my hands. It's like, okay, we're going to hang right there for a little bit. We're just going to hang right there. And then all of a sudden, one week, I, I couldn't really move them. I didn't participate. I thought people were staring at me like, what are people going to think? I don't know why I'm, I'm having all these thoughts. And then all of a sudden, I finally got brave enough to go, hmm. And I hung out there for a little while, and, and y'all have seen that funny little social media thing of, of the different ways that we worship, and, uh, and I love it because it is so true, because then after a while, you just sit there for, you, you, you hold the TV for a little while. And then you get super brave, and you're like, you know what, I need a widescreen. So we're going to move it out here for a little bit, right? We do like this for a little while, and, and, and we feel comfortable, and, and it's, we're, we're growing, right? And then all of a sudden, here's the one thing that I love. You can, you can look out and see people worship, and it's like they're just comfortable like right here. And I, and I can't help but to have this thought that every single time that I see people worshiping, it's, it's, it's as if you're talking with God. You're like, all right, the fish that I got is this big. And some of y'all are liars because y'all hand out like this, and you're like, it was this big, God, I promise you, it was this big, right? And then you got the old classic, you throw up the goalpost, you're like, Lord Jesus, come on, kick it through this week, I need your help, I need your favor. We all have different forms of worship. But my question to you this morning, what does worship mean to you? What does worship mean? mean to you. Worship has always been a part of the cathedral. It's been a part of the DNA. And we all worship something. We all give our, our time, our energy, our focus, our, our money towards things. Whatever it is, we give it towards those things. I was looking for a good definition to give you guys. And honestly, uh, the dictionaries have an awful, really, definition of what worship is. Google isn't any better. Uh, and so through my research, I kind of formulated two different definitions for you. The first one is kind of just a broad overview of worship. But here is the words that I would put to a definition for you. is It's our outward and our inward expressions towards what we value most. Okay, we have all these things that we do. We have these inward expressions. We give our thoughts. We, give, uh, we meditate on things. We, we think about these things. We research. There's this inward expression. It dominates the inside of who I am. We have these outward expressions where we talk about it all the time. We engage. We have this combination of these two inward and outward expressions to the things that we value most. It's worship. Now, as it pertains to God, here's a definition for you is it's the love and or adoration expressed to God as a response to the salvation and grace in our lives that we receive from God, okay? Now, when I was preparing this, 
one of my favorite things to do, I told you this this past summer, is as a part of my devotions, I love diving into Psalms. I love diving into Proverbs. It's just a great message, method. When I do my devotions, I get so much value out of it. And so when I was thinking about worship, I said, fantastic. Let's hit up the book of Psalms. My head immediately went to chapter 150, because if you ever want a good visual of what true worship is supposed to look like in our lives, 150 is a great chapter to explore in the book of Psalms, and I encourage you to do so. But the more that I researched this topic of, of worship, the more I begin to unearth and discover these amazing biblical truths and understandings around this topic of worship. One of the first things that you will notice at a broad view is that there is a difference between worship in the Old Testament and worship in the New Testament. It kind of leaves you with, okay, so where do I go? Is it this or is it this? And so I put together, because I'm not going to dive too deep into this, it kind of gets into the weeds a little bit, but I think there's value in at least showing it to you because it's the basis of where we're going today. You see, when you look throughout the Bible, you see that there's three main themes as it pertains to worship. The first, you can go ahead and put the graphic up on, onto the screen. The first one is that there's sacrifice always attached to it. Location is a big deal when you're searching and, and you see worship. Location was a big deal in the Bible. And the last thing is it's always connected to a priest. You see, when you read this, uh, if I can just clarify... There was, no, there was no reason, there was nothing wrong with what was going on in the Old Testament other than the fact that when Jesus came, he didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. This was a covenant that he made with the people of Israel that was still going on. Rather, he did not come to abolish. He didn't come and say, oh, shoot, we got it wrong. Let me redo it for you. No, rather, when Jesus came onto the scene, he said, listen, let me clarify a few things for me. I've actually come to fulfill that covenant. I've come to fulfill what the Old Testament brought. Let me explain it to you. When you look at sacrifice, back in the Old Testament, it was all done through animals and different variations of animals. When Jesus came onto the scene, he was the ultimate sacrifice, no longer needing that sacrifice because he fulfilled that completely and fully. You look at the, the, the location of things. In the very beginning of our Old Testament, you'll notice that the, the tent or the tabernacle would move. And wherever this tent would move, that's where the presence of God would reside. Later on in the Old Testament, they built a temple, and we got a brick-and-mortar version of it. But right in the center of it was the Holy of Holies, and that's where the presence of God resided, in that particular location. And God, when Jesus came onto the scene, he said, no, 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 listen, you are the temple. Your body is the temple. Wherever you go, the presence of God goes. Then it goes to the fact that when you needed back in the day in the Old Testament, the priests were such an integral part to this that they were the ones that could go into the holies of holies. And some people would go into they would be struck dead because they were not the ones ordained and chosen to be going into the holies of holies. But Jesus says, no, actually, let me tell you what's going on. And here's the verses that kind of go into it. You can take a picture of this. But he says, you are a royal priesthood. He didn't come to abolish. He came to completely fulfill what worship. And, and, and when you read this, when you begin to really research scripture, here's something that you begin to realize is that Jesus desperately wanted you and I to understand and feel his heart around this topic of worship. And I want to explore that topic with you this morning. You guys okay with that? 
Y'all want to go on a journey together on that? Y'all good to that? Give me, give me some feedback. I ain't up here by myself. All right, here we go. You see, you can always tell what people worship, right? We talked about this a little bit. We give our time. We give our, our resources. We give money towards things. It could be sports that we dedicate so much of our life to. It could be shopping. It can be God. There's a lot of things that we dedicate. Now, before we get too far into this topic, I want to make sure we understand something and it's this, is that God does not mind that you have other things that you worship. Well, we say, well, Dave, I don't know that I agree with you on that. Okay, well, let's let God's word speak on that because he is very clear about this topic in Exodus chapter 20. He says, do not have any other gods before me. This is the first commandment that he gives. And he's very clearly stating he does not like when you and I are worshiping something more than him. You can have these other little things in your life, but we got to make sure that we never cross that line where something comes above him. Listen, he made us passionate. It's the way that he wired us. It's the way that we're, we're created. We're going to worship things, but we got to be careful to never cross that line. Do not have any other gods before me. Now, what God is saying here is very hard to accomplish from time to time in our lives, although it is an easy thing to understand, okay? And, and essentially what he is saying is, listen, I want to be first in your life. I want to be number one in your life. And this honestly really is the origin. When you hear us talking about the principle of the first, the power of the first in our, in our life, this is the origination of it from this commandment. Why we have church on Sunday is the first of the week. We want to get, start our week off right. Why? When we talk about tithing, we want to give the first of our income. It's this principle, and it originates right here from this. Romans chapter 1 actually talks about this happening in, in Roman society and, and how, they, how they violated this commandment. Okay, Paul is writing to him. He's warning them. He's... He's raising the red flags. He's seeing some concerns in how they're behaving in this culture. And he's warning them about the dangers of, of worshiping creation rather than the creator. Okay, they, they had made this exchange. They, they, they subbed out worshiping the one big G true God for all these little G gods that didn't matter. Okay? Now, now the, the result of this decision, and, and let me make sure you understand, this kind of thing is still happening in our day. P people all the time, even in churches, are subbing out the big G God for the little G God. But I want you to hear what happens in the Bible as a result of when we make that decision, because that's happening in our land as well. Okay, Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the Roman society, when they made this exchange that their minds became darkened and their actions became futile and perverted. Now, interestingly enough, this is nothing new. This wasn't new in Roman society, and it certainly isn't new for us here today. And here's the reason why. is because it was actually the fallout of the first worship leader that this world ever knew. So let me ask you, who is or was the first worship leader of this world? Shout it out if you know it. 100%. Lucifer. Lucifer was the first worshiper that this world knew. 
Now, now I, I love when I get little side notes. I thought this was interesting enough to give it to you. So l- let me give this to you. You see, when you read the scripture, there's, there's actually multiple hundreds of times that the Bible talks about angels. But there's only three angels that are ever named in the Bible. Okay? The first one that we get in the Bible is an angel by the name of Michael. Okay? And he's so closely linked with prayer. You'll see him in in Daniel chapter 10. You'll see him show up in Revelation chapter 11. But when Daniel prayed, God heard this prayer, released Michael on the first day that Daniel began to pray, but it took 21 days. Because how many of you guys know that sometimes when we pray, it takes a while to get to us because there's that much spiritual warfare going on in our life. That's why we got to pray without ceasing. Never give up. Your answer was given on day one, but you didn't feel it till day 21. Michael is linked with this and his angels that support him around that. Gabriel is another angel that you're going to see throughout the scripture. And Gabriel is uh, linked with the word, with with a message. He is a messenger angel. You'll see him show up in Luke chapter 1. He's talking to Zechariah, and he's letting him know, hey, I'm bringing you a word. You will have a son. This is the same angel that is so integral into the Christmas story where he shows up and tells Mary what? Hey, I know you're a virgin, but you're going to you're going to birth a king to this world. His name is going to be Jesus Christ. He brings this message in. The third angel that we have that's named throughout the Bible is Lucifer, and he is intrinsically linked to worship. We see this come up in Isaiah chapter 14 and in Ezekiel chapter 38. We're going to explore those verses. Y'all doing okay so far? Y'all enjoying this? Understand? Okay. I'm going to teach a little bit, but we're going to wrap it up together, okay? Here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 14 as it relates to Lucifer, okay? Verse number 12, it says, Have you fallen from heaven? It's talking about Satan. Morning star, son of the dawn, there's different names for him. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars. I will sit in throne on the Mount of Assembly. I will be at the most. You see this common trend of Satan trying to go to heights that he shouldn't be in? He's trying to go to these places that he was never designed for. See see how he ends this thing, and he says, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. You see what Satan calls God? The most high. It's like he already knows, I'm never going to attain this. But it also lets you and I know the level of deception that can happen. He's, He's saying, hey, he can't stand God being the most high. You see, this is why God takes it so personal when we put other things above him. Because when we do this, accidental or not, we're actually doing the same things that Satan did in the very beginning of time. It's personal to God. All right, let's go back one verse because I think you'll find this interesting, okay? This is verse 11. Your pride has been brought down to shield. This is a word for hell. It's been brought down to hell along with the music of your harps. Now, this is very fascinating because when you read a whole lot of biblical scholars around this particular verse, what they do is they weigh in on the meaning and the purpose of what they believe this verse is saying, but they're also taking a conglomeration of other scriptures in the Bible to give you this understanding, to give you this meaning. Here's what the biblical scholars believe on this, and I found it very fascinating is that they didn't believe that Satan played the instruments, rather he was the instrument. Say that again? What? Like, 
that it doesn't even compute. Like, what does that even look like, right? Okay, let's, let's, let's keep building, okay? I want to jump now over to Ezekiel chapter 28. Uh, in this verse, he's talking to the king of Tyre, talking to the evangel, but he's addressing the spirit of Satan within the king, okay? Here's what he tells him. This is the Lord speaking. So this is what the Lord says. You were the perfect example. He's t- talking about Satan. He's addressing the spirit. You were the perfect example. You were full of wisdom. You're perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. Well, there you go. Satan was the one they needed, not the king, right? So that makes sense, okay? You were in Eden. You were in God's garden. You were covered with every kind of precious stone. Quartz, topaz, crystal, barrel, onyx, more quartz, so on and so on. Your settings and your sockets were made of gold when you were created. Okay, that language is a, is a little confusing. What is the settings? What is sockets? I'm kind of confused. Where are you going with this, Dave? L- let me give you the New King James Version of that same exact verse, and I think it will highlight some things. Here's what that verse says. The workmanship of your timbrels and your pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. Okay, Dave, I don't think that really helped me. I don't know what timbrels are. All right, I'll give you the example here. Timbrels. That's a timbrel. Symbols, okay? Pipes, wind, okay? These verses are describing what Satan looked like. Very fascinating. Now, if you're musical, you probably already caught on to what I'm describing here. For the non-musical folks, like myself, we need it spelled out for us, okay? So I'll help you out like I had some help here, okay? Not only was Lucifer a stringed instrument as described in Isaiah... Okay, not only was he adorned by God with all of these precious stones, literally the perfection of beauty itself, but he was also a percussion instrument and he was a wind instrument. Lucifer by himself was an entire orchestra. I don't have a place for that in my brain. Like, do we get up in heaven and like he's got a box of like, hey, here's what Satan looked like back in the day or something? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking forward to like, I want to see what that looks like. That's fascinating. He was every single one of them. And this is exactly how we have our orchestra set up today. We got a wind section. We got a percussion section. We got a string section, right? He embodied every single one of them. Ezekiel continues. And in verse 14, here's what it says. You were anointed. As a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. God put an anointing on music. I have ordained you. I've set you apart. You, this is something special. You were on the holy mounts of God, and you walked among the fiery stones. God put an anointing on music, which when you understand it, it makes a little bit more sense of why people literally lose their minds when they get under some of these popular artists of our day. I was talking to some of the team this past week uh, about this particular topic, and they said, David, it makes sense when you say that, but I think if we can visualize that, it'll really give us a good example. So they actually put a little montage together because this isn't something just for our day, but this has been happening for generations after generation. So take a look at this little thing, and you can see how fans literally lose their mind. There's an anointing. Watch this. You ain't nothing but a
I'm telling you, people go crazy. They go crazy. Re recently, Pastor Luke is a big Bieber fan, so we really wanted to go to a concert. I'm telling you, he looked exactly like those people. I mean, he knew every single word to this. It's crazy. Just kidding. Not really, but it's okay. It's the very reason why we remember, isn't it crazy how you can be driving and, and you hear a song and it immediately takes you to a place? Anytime I ever hear the Eagles or Pink Floyd, I immediately go to my dad in a 1978 Dodge White pickup and him beating the fire out of his thighs or whatever. And I remember thinking as a young kid, that's got to hurt. Like, you know, anytime I saw Elvis, I immediately think of my mom. Right, we have these, these things, I hear certain songs from my childhood and I go to some of those memories, some I wish to forget. There's an anointing on music, right? Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 15 says this, it continues on, you were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created until wickedness found you through your widespread trade. You see, Satan traded what was originally intended for God. He, he made it futile. He, he made it perverted, okay? He, he put himself in that place that was originally meant for God. And we still see this exchange happening when people worship other gods before the one true God. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you from disgrace, from the mount of God, and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones Verse number 17, your heart became proud on the accounts of your beauty and corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and I made a spectacle of you. Okay, this is all cool, but it leaves us with a problem. We're now missing an angel in the trio. You see, Gabriel, still up there, right? He's delivering words. Michael, still up there. He's answering prayers. He, he's warring for us. But there's a vacancy in the worship angel seat. And the good question for us is, why don't we see another angel appointed by God to fill that seat? Another way to ask it would be is, who is God's new worship leader? It's you and me. You see, he, he, check this, Satan falls, and the next thing that we see in the Bible is God's creating Adam. God didn't put another angel in that seat. He created mankind and put us in that seat. Some of you may be wondering, okay, that's great, and if he did all that, why don't I have the musical superpowers that he gave Lucifer? <laughs> he did. You got these two little strings on your vocal cords that vibrate back and forth. You got some percussion instruments like this all day long. We got two lungs on the side of each and every single one of us. We can praise God because that's what we were created to do. But here's the question for every single one of us to answer. Are we doing what we were created to do? Are we actually fulfilling that? Why did God do all of this? You know, sometimes I feel like a broken record because I feel like it comes back to this all the, all the time. But here's the true reason is God desperately wanted a relationship with you and me. He desperately wanted, God created us to be in relationship with him. 
Listen, he, he already had all of the praise. He already had all of the adoration that he needed. He had angels doing that. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 6, Revelation chapter 4, here's what the Bible tells us, that the angels on repeat over and over again are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It's the only song up in heaven that they're singing. It's the number one track in the heaven's billboard charts of music. That's all they got. And I can just imagine God going up there just going, okay, okay, yeah, I know you're created to do that, okay. But see, here's the difference. It's our choice whether we worship God or not. It, it's what makes us different as humans. He gave us the free will to choose. He desperately wants a relationship with you and I. It's the reason why he created Eve for Adam relationship. It's the reason why he created mankind, period. It's a relationship with him. The relationship is the basis for what we get marriage from, right? You see, God never wanted religion. He wanted a relationship. See what it says in, in, in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You see, we read this at weddings all the time, and it's a great principle. It's true. It's just not what God was after. If you read the second verse, you see why he even gave us that as example. Verse 32, he says, this, what I'm talking about, oh, it's a profound mystery. Because what I was actually talking about, oh, I was just using that as an example, a little bait and switch on you here, because you understand that principle. What I was actually talking about was Christ and the church. I mean, think about it from a father's perspective. I got four kids, and this just makes sense to me because when, when my kids express thankfulness, when my kids express gratitude, there's a difference between when I coerce my kids into thankfulness and when they do it on their own accord, right? You see, as parents, we do this all the time. We hand our kids something, and we do this weird thing. We're like, what, what are you supposed to say? <laughs> and they don't care. They just want the candy, right? But when my children come up to me, unsolicited, and they go, thank you, Daddy. Daddy, I love you so much. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. <laughs> it, it, it does something on the inside of me. You see, when my kids express thankfulness to their father in response to what Macy and I have done for them, this is the part of the parenting where I just go, okay, what do you want? <laughs> Fill up the Amazon cart. I'm proud of you. Take advantage of this moment because you're doing awesome right now, right? If, if this happens on earth in response to what our kids do, can you imagine what our Father up in heaven does when we do it to him? Worship is a powerful thing, and let me explain why. Because worship is the only gift that we can give God. We said, Dave, what about the other two? Well, prayer is great, but it's for us. Prayer is for us. It is, it is to God for us. It's the tool that God gave us to communicate with him of saying, hey, God, I need this. I need your protection. Would you bless me with this? It is from us to God. It's the tool that he gave us to be able to communicate with him. The word, it's for us. It's for our instruction. You see, God doesn't need an instruction manual to remember what he communicated over 2,000 years ago. He's got a pretty good memory himself. He doesn't need the Bible for that because it's for us. It's for us to take instruction in, to construct this life that if we apply those principles in that word, man, our life will be incredibly different. 
When these two things are done in our life, when we engage in these things, it's awesome, but it is for us. Worship is the only gift that we can give God. It's the reverse of the other two. It is from us to God. It's a process of saying, I lay myself down, God. I glorify you. Lord, thank you so much for what you've done in my life. I don't deserve what you've done for me. I don't deserve the gift of salvation. I can't earn it. There's nothing I can do to get it. But God, you gave it to me, Lord. I worship you. It's from us to God. The thing I hate for so many people is they have a massive misconception of what God in heaven is. Too many people literally actually believe, and it just blows my mind every time I hear that this is actually still a thought in so many people's minds, is that when we get up in heaven, we're going to be a fat little chubby version of ourselves sitting on a floating cow, playing a harp and singing, y'all, that's hell, it's not heaven. That's not what we're going to be doing. Let me tell you what you're going to be doing. Scripture tells us what we're going to be doing. We're going to be linking arm in arm with God, every single believer on this entire earth, Okay? Going down the aisle like we've seen so many times at weddings, finally reunited with the one true God. And it's going to be the party of the century. After the ceremony, we're going to be going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's going to be better than any reception you've ever thought about going by about 100 million. There's going to be food. There's going to be drinks. There's going to be uh, music. It's going to be absolutely incredible. Back in Jewish culture times, before they would get married, the husband would go away and would, would prepare a place. God, Jesus, for the last thousands of years, has been preparing a place. And when we get done with this celebration, oh, he's like the giddiest person in the world because he can't wait to show you and I what he's been preparing all these years. That's what's happening. Let me show you just a little bit of it because there's a Cool correlation at the end of it. He talks about this in Revelation chapter 21. He says, talking about this place that he's preparing, the foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. Oh, hold on. You remember that verse that we read from the very beginning? What, what did he strip from Satan? It's as if, and I believe he is, it's that he stripped these precious stones from Satan, and he's been holding on to them for you and I since Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And he adorns our home that he's been preparing for us. He, he doesn't waste a single thing. The beauty of imperfection, he put us in that seat. We are his worship leader now. And even when we get to the place that he's been prepared for us, he takes those stones and adorns the foundations of the walls. What? This is, y'all doing okay? I'm almost done here. Verse number 19. Foundation of the city walls, and it goes through all those different stones. They're really cool. You should look them up. They're beautiful. He made us to worship. He made us with wind. He made us with strings. He made us with percussion. He made us to worship. He adorns us with these precious stones. Let me, let me give you this, this verse out of John, and I think it'll kind of wrap it here together. Because here's what it says in verse 23. Indeed, there's a time coming. There's a time that's on the horizon. In fact, it's not even coming. It's here now. What's coming? What is he doing? What is he looking for? When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And what the Father is doing is he's looking around for people like that to worship him. He's up there going, oh, I wonder if there's any worshipers out there on the land today. Ooh, there's a group over here in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, they get this whole worship concept. Oh, I can't wait to grow them to the next level. I can't wait to increase their capacity. I can't wait to give them a vision for it. He's looking for this. 
You see, there's several different words throughout the Bible. One of the main words in the Greek in the Old Testament is this word. I'm going to mispronounce it. Shaka, I think. What is it? I was talking. Where was Risha? What? Shaka. There it goes. Shaka. It's a fun one to say. You can say that a couple times. But it's the word that we use, and it means to bow down. You can see this in Psalm 66, verse 4, where it says, all of the earth bows down. In the New Testament, that word goes over to a word called proskuneo. And if you remember a while back, I gave you a definition of this word. And it's like when you leave your home for two weeks, you come back, and your dog is so excited. It runs around your whole house because it can't contain the excitement, how much he missed you. And he pees all over the place. It's just this whole ball of energy that is so excited. That's proskuneo. to literally means you kiss the hand. To kiss the hand. If you were here last week for Meg's incredible message on the power of a testimony, she showed us this video uh, of the woman at the well. John later on is recounting this story. Okay, He's validifying that this took place, this interaction between this woman at a well and Jesus. And as he's describing it, he says the fallout of her reaction to the encounter with Jesus was worship. It was proskuneo. The fallout of this was not futile. It wasn't perverted. Because of the worship, she had true biblical worship. And one by one, an entire town began to know the name of Jesus. There's a difference. Worship is powerful. He's looking for it. But this isn't nothing new. We want the same thing. When you go away on a trip, you're coming back on an airport. Nobody's sitting there. You go to a turntable thing that you got to wait 18, 18 minutes for your luggage, and hopefully it's there. Boring. You get a Uber. Go home. Not exciting. However, you come home from a trip that you've been gone for two weeks. you got 30 of your closest friends standing at an airport with signs, hollering how much they missed you, hollering how much... They are so excited to see you. Do you not like that? Of course you like that. Let me give you one last example. And this really is a personal kind of testament of what worship's been in my life. And it's this. You know, when, when we're saved, Scripture tells us that God gives us a new heart. Now, he doesn't give us a physically a new heart, but spiritually speaking, gives us a new heart. And I don't have this as a part of the example, but if I could put your old heart up against this, what that old heart would look like is bruised, tattered, um, easily torn, maybe holes. I don't know what your old life brought. Some have tougher life than others, and it's just it takes that beating. And we do our best, but we can only do our best based off the, what we can give. And we're, we're always chasing these things, but it just seems empty. And no matter how much I try to fill it up, I'm just empty. And all of a sudden, we receive this cup of salvation that God has for us. And our life radically changes because now we're partnered with the God of this universe. There's a big difference there, okay? Now, does that mean that sin magically disappears? No. Magically does not disappear. Sin is still right there with us. It's in this cup, but the hope is that the influence is not as great. Now, if we're not careful and we never really change, it settles this piece of salvation. You're going to heaven, but this cup can go back to looking like this old, bratted, torn, hold up, whatever heart that you had. If our life never changed, that's not the heart of God. The heart of God, this is, a, this is the starting point. But this is a small heart. This is a baby heart, Right? But as we press into it, we come to church on the weekends, we worship, we, we do all kind of different things. And here's what God does for every single one of us is he begins to fill us up. He begins to fill us up. And now that sin nature is there, but it's beginning to lose its power. 
still around, but I'm able to handle it a lot different. I'm able to say no to the things. I'm beginning to say, oh my goodness, God, you have a vision for my life? I've never thought about this. I never knew that I could possibly make a difference in my life. And then you keep going and you learn this whole thing of not only do we serve a God that wants to fill us up, but he wants to overflow us. See, the trouble that you see so often is people get stuck right here. There's too high of a percentage that people never grow past this point. Let me me say it this way. You could be journeying with God for 30-something years but still act like a five-year-old. You see, that's not the heart of our God. Our God doesn't want you to just have all this understanding. You've ever been around a really religious person? They know a lot of things, right? They, They got the knowledge. They got this understanding. But they forgot the most important part, which is wisdom. Wisdom is the action of the things that we read in the word, when we understand all these things. This is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. It says, get wisdom at all costs, buy it. Still invest in the other two, but don't forget the most important one, the ultimate thing. Right? I get stuck right here. You see, God never desired for us to stay right here. You see, in our society, we've begun, begin to get cup crazy. You know, back in the day, all you could do was get one of these, get a glass cup, and you're good to go, Right? Well, then someone said, no, I want to take this on the road. I want to take it to go with me. Hence the journey. I'm going to skip some of the generations, but I'm going to give you a couple of them. Okay? What do we got here? Here we go. We got a Nalgene. How many remember the Nalgene craze? There's some diehards out there still carrying the Nalgene, right? I remember when this got super popular in college. I won't tell you what liquids they were holding in there, but it was doing the job of holding the liquid. Okay? Big deal. Never really understood it, but, you know, people love their Nalgene, right? Got your backpackers. They love it, right? Then somebody saw, hey, there's some opportunity here. And they created the one and only Yeti. How many diehard Yeti people we got out there, right? And this really started the whole craze of every counterfeit there is on the market. I mean, this was crazy. Not only could you take it on the go, ooh, but it could stay cold and warm a little bit longer, this is nice. And then someone had the bright idea because they knew that wives across the country would say, I don't care how many cups I have, I need the next one. Enter in the Stanley. Now, personally, I don't really understand this one. See, she's holding up her Stanley. See, here, here's my problem with the Stanley. Who's going to clean that big old long thing? Yeah, that thing is nasty after about a month. That thing, you know there's some bacteria up in that joint. But people love it, right? They love it. They love it. We got the Stanley. Our society has become cup crazy. You know who else is cup crazy? Our God. You see, because God never intended for you to stay in this cup. He said, I got so much more for you. And so my question for you this morning is, which cup are you? Where are you in this life? Because you see, God never wanted you to stay here. He said, listen, as you grow, as you draw in with me, as you invest with me, I'm going to start to fill you up. Oh, sin nature's still there, but guess what? When you surround yourself with the extra presence of God, that sin nature just gets less and less and less. And you know what else happens? Your capacity grows. The more I get in worship, the more I get in the presence of God, oh, God, you ha- you're ready for this next season? You see, I look through my life and I say, I don't remember going to the next level sometimes, but I know when I get there. And I'm so excited because, oh, God, I know you have more for me. I can't wait to see what you have more. But God's never satisfied with just that because he always wants to take us to the next level, and he wants to begin to overflow us.
Now you have capacity for more. God's never done. God, I got more for you. Never get tired of chasing after God because he always has more for you. And you begin to overflow. And see, what's fun at this point, I'm going to leave the sin nature in this one. We're going past it now. Here's the fun thing about this. Oh, did I tell you that when, when you grow, even when you grow in different seasons, it's, it's harder to grow colder with God the more you draw into him. And now you've got this pretty little handle, and you can take it out of the confines of what we know as Sunday. You know worship was never meant for 15 minutes on a Sunday? It was meant to grab that bad boy and take it with you. Oh, a little bit spilled out. Oops, no big deal, because it's for Jesus. You see, here's, here's something that I understood at this level. And there's levels for every single one of us. At this level, here was the revelation that I understood, is that God wanted to be in my decisions, not just my devotions. Let that settle in for a second. I'll never forget, I worked at California Dreaming. Rough, you know the restaurant industry. There's a lot of temptations. Sex, drugs, alcohol, on repeat, every single day of your life. I was making great decisions, but I was wrestling with God. Why is it so hard? I want to make it easier. And I'll never forget him telling me, hey, I want you, before you go in, I need you to pray. I want you to cover yourself. When you leave that building, I want you to, 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 to pray when you leave. Don't get that stuff on you and bring it home with you. And he sustained me through that season so incredibly well. He grew my capacity to be an influence in a dark world. I started working at a church and I'll never forget pulling into a parking lot. And God said, hey, what about praying when you go in? Oh, did you think that just because you work at a church that you don't need this covering anymore? Oh, let me just tell you that Satan hates you working here more than he ever did at a restaurant. And so it reminded me it was another area to grow my capacity to lean in on what God had for my life. Philippians actually, he prays this thing. He says, I pray that your love, I pray that your heart actually overflows. He wants us to overflow. Okay, I'm done. This is, let's just say that this is the season I'm in. You have to identify where you are. Are you here? Are you here? Are you here? I'm right here right now. I wonder what God has next for me. I, I wonder the next season of my life. What does he have for my family? What does he have for us as a church? I got to grow. I'm in this season, but I got to get to this bad boy right here. <laughs> now you understand my shirt. So I don't want to present this whole thing and not give you an opportunity to experience it, to push into it. So here's what the rest of the server, I got one song for you. I'm going to let you out. I know you're hungry, Okay. I got, I got some communion over here because here's what it represents. It represents what God did for us on that cross. It's, it's, a, it's a reminder of the covenant that he made for us. The fact that he is our salvation. The fact that he is our grace. And I want you at some point in this worship, hey God, what, what, where am I? What cup am I in? What, where do I want to grow? And then we're going to do one worship song. And the question simply is, what cup are you in? What season are you in? Where does God want to take you? Y'all ready? I know you ready, Risha. Y'all ready? I didn't believe you. You ready? All right, come on. I know you ready. Let's go. Let's let God get in here and push us to another 
level. He's got something so great, and I can't wait to see what it is in your life. Lord Jesus, right now, we give you this moment. We give you the next five minutes. You don't need any minutes. You need one second, Father. Would you do a major and mighty work? We chase after you. We worship you in this moment, Father. Father, no matter where we are, you know the story of every individual in here. Would you help us identify where we are, but would you help us be able to elevate to the next level? Father, we give you this moment, and everybody said, let's worship. If, if you haven't taken your communion, feel free to go ahead and do so. But I, I just want you to remember the, the significance of what communion represents. It's a reminder of what God came to fulfill in our life. He, he came to fulfill the salvation role in our life, to sell that piece of eternity, but it doesn't just stop there. It's a reminder of the goodness of who God is in our life. It's a reminder that he's got a vision for us if we just press in. He has so much more for us, and he never gets old for it. He has a never-ending supply of cups in our life. He always wants to take us to the next level. So no matter where you are in life, Never forget, God has more, even more than the big gulp. Amen? Put your hands out in front of you, if you will. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May you never forget that you were created to worship an almighty God, and in response, he responds back to us and says, thank you, and I have so much more. Go ahead and get ready for the next cup, because I'm pouring into your life. You better get ready to grow your capacity. You better get ready to grow your relationships. You better get ready, because I'm growing your capacity. Amen? Amen. Lord bless you guys. Have a great weekend. Love you guys so much. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.